Genesis chapter number 37. Familiar scripture, we'll stand and read a few verses and go to the Lord in prayer. And if God helps us, we'll try to preach. And if he doesn't, we'll just get out of the way. But uh, in Genesis chapter number 37, we know that we're reading about Joseph. In verse 5, it said this, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said to them, Hear, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about, and made obeisance unto my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion? Over us, and they hated him yet the more for his dreams, for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we bow in your presence again this evening, Lord, I'm honored to, Lord, to come and stand in a place where I know mighty men of God have, Lord, mounted the pulpit and preached in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray tonight that uh, you would enable us and equip us to do the same. God, we do not come in the enticing words of man wisdom. God, we do not come, Lord, in eloquency of speech. Oh, God, we come as a vessel desired to be used of you. Lord, anointed and touched and, uh, Lord, breathed upon. I pray, God, that you'd help us to stand and preach uh, plainly the Word of God without fear and without favor. But, Lord, I pray above that that the Word would go out in its power. Lord, that it go out in its purity, and Lord, it might prick the hearts of men. Lord, I do not know the condition of any man that may have come into the building tonight. Lord, I do not know what background they may have. Lord, I do not know what baggage they may be carrying. Lord, I do not know the heaviness of the heart. Lord, I do not know where they stand. But Lord, you know each and every one of us tonight. And Lord, you and you alone can take the singularity of the message and touch the heart of the masses. And so God, I pray tonight that you'd do that. Lord, that you'd take this word. And Lord, those that are saved, I pray that you'd charge our heart, challenge our heart, and mend the heart of those that are broken. And, Lord, those tonight that are lost, Lord, I pray, God, if they be one in our midst, that you'd speak to them as only you can and bring them to a saving knowledge of you. Lord, help us now, I pray. It's in Jesus' sweet name we ask these things. Amen and amen. You can be seated. As we look at uh, the life of Joseph, the story of Joseph, we can go back and begin in Abraham as we begin to get a picture of, of where he comes from and what his background is. Abraham was his great-grandfather, a, a man of covenant, a mighty man, who began the, the mighty nation of Israel. I think about Abraham and how that 
even though he was willing to leave her and he was willing to look for a city whose builder and maker is God, he's willing to walk with God by faith. Yet there was a moment where his faith failed him, where doubt entered into his mind and he wonders if God's really going to do what God has said. From that we understand we have Isaac and Ishmael. And so then we find Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob starts out with a rough beginning like many of us, but he has an encounter with God that changes uh, the way he walks and uh, really changes his name. He becomes Israel and has twelve sons, which we know compose the twelve tribes of Israel. Then we find Joseph. Joseph is the next to the last child. He's very special. He's the favorite. The Bible tells us in verse number 3. Maybe because of he's the son of their old age. But for whatever reason, the Bible makes it very plain that he has a special place in his parents' heart. Can I say this evening, this is not the message, but just because the Bible says that's the case, does not mean that should be the case. It does, this, this day in which folks want to put certain individuals here and other individuals down here is a real sad day we live in. In a day where we want to determine man's worth because of, I mean, what he can give to us or what he can bring to our ministry, what he, what he might bring to our church, what he might be able to perform in this congregation is a very, very sad day. It is a sad day when we're not willing to reach down to the lowest of sinners and bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think about in, in our text here how that Joseph is blessed by his father. But greater than that, he is blessed by God. He's given a gift, a gift of dreams and of visions. And please don't worry, I'm not going to get charismatic. I know we're not in a day of dreams. We're not in a day of visions per se. But at the same time, God has given me some dreams. God's given me some, some things that I aspire to obtain. And God gave me a, a son when I didn't really believe we'd ever be able to have children. And, and out of nowhere, God gives me a son. And can I say that that little boy is a dream answered. I mean, he's a prayer answered. I mean, he, he is a great blessing that God has given to me in my life. I, when it comes to our church up there in Jamestown, started out with 16 people and I'd stand on the back back porch of that cabin. They'd sit there in the lawn chairs in the yard and I'd stand on the back porch and I'd preach and they'd sit in the lawn chairs and they'd come to pray on the steps of the porch uh, during the invitation. And uh, I'd be foolish and lying to say that as I stood there, I didn't dream about someday having a building to preach in. I'd be, I'd be lying if I didn't say that God didn't give me a, I mean, a vision of what He had called and commissioned me to do. And, and I'm, I'm beginning to see God fulfill things and do things. And I'm thankful that He, He does that, that He shows us the direction that He wants us to go. But not only does He show us where He wants us to go, He gets us where He wants us to be. I see that in the life of Joseph. 
that God gives him a, a dream. As I look about the birth of this vision, I want to bring out three things. Number one, it is a heavenly dream. Let's be honest, not everything that enters into our mind comes from God. I mean, not every dream we have at night comes from God speaking to us. Sometimes we just ate pizza too late and, I mean, we think crazy stuff. But sometimes God bursts within our heart and within our spirit. Amen. A, a vision of what it is that He wants us to do. Brother, uh, Brother Toby has talked to me about, about, about things that y'all are doing here. And, and as, as He's talked to me, it has spurred in my mind. God has spoke to me and said, you need to take those things back to Jamestown. You need to incorporate those things into Canaan. Amen. You need to try to reach folks like they're reaching folks. And that's God giving Him a vision and through Him giving me a vision. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so, Joseph's thing didn't, it didn't originate in selfish desire. Joseph's dream did not originate in fleshly ambition, in a desire to rise in popularity or position, but it was a divine purpose and plan that God had made for his life and God wanted him to see what he was going to do with him. It was a heavenly dream. It was a holy dream. The brethren took it personal because it sounded prideful in what they heard. But it was not prideful. It was purposeful. And sometimes the world and even those around us, as we talk about what we believe God is going to do or what God aspires to do in our churches, in our lives, it may come across as arrogant and even prideful But if God has given you a word and God has given you a promise, I'm thankful this evening that you can bank on it. You can, you can build on it. You can know that every word of God standeth sure that God will not fail. He never has failed and He won't start now. I think about how that it was a heavenly dream. It was a holy dream. It was a happy dream. I think He got excited. I think one of the reasons that the brethren uh, received him like they did because he come in there saying, Hey guys, guess what God showed me? I, 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 I'm going to rule. And y'all are going to bail. He wasn't, he wasn't meaning to be demeaning. He wasn't meaning to be, to be uh, arrogant or lifted up. But I mean, he's living in a day where the youngest children really, they're on the low end of things. And it's the eldest that receive the most. And for God to reveal to him that, that he is going to be the one to rise above his brethren, man, that blows his mind. He gets excited. He gets excited. And I think they didn't know how to take it. I, I watch these young preacher boys. I watch their zeal. I mean, they'll sing louder than anybody else sings. They'll say amen louder than anybody else says amen. Dylan, he'll, he'll run a lap in the drop of a hat and sometimes he'll just knock the hat out of his own hand and take off. He's got that young zeal and excitement. You remember when you had that? You remember when coming to church didn't feel like an obligation but a privilege? 
You remember when serving the Lord and, and when fulfilling some role of ministry, whether it be singing in the choir or, or teaching a Sunday school class or, or driving a van or, or whatever. You remember those days when, when mounting the pulpit wasn't something that maybe you entered into with drudgery wondering, I wonder if God's going to meet with me. But you were excited knowing that He would meet with you, that He would do something, that there was a purpose, there was a reason hey, for you to do what you were doing. That's where Joseph's at. He is in that place where, man, he is excited because God has showed him what he wants him to do. But then something happens. He shares his burden. He shares his vision. And I don't know about you, but in Jamestown, when you come in the door, everybody is handed a spiritual wet blanket. So that everything that you bring up that might stir someone up, somebody close by has a wet blanket they can throw on it. And every time, uh, every time somebody wants to bring up, one of the young preachers the other night come to me and said, Brother Curtis, can we set the tent up for revival? I said, boys, it's, it's November. <laughs> wet blanket. If they want to set up a tent in November and sit out there in space eaters and preach to the trees, why wouldn't I let them? Why am I so concerned about what's sitting in the pews? And why am I not more concerned about stirring up what God's put in their heart? Amen, oh me. And jo- Joseph goes to his brethren, and, and surely if there's anybody that's going to be excited for him, if anybody that's going to get behind him, it's going to be his brethren, because as Joseph succeeds, their family will succeed. As Joseph experiences victory, they'll experience victory. As his needs are met, their needs will be met, but they do not look at it that way. They have the mindset that so many of the brethren have today. It's my ministry. It's my church. It's it's my this and my that. And, and it do us real good if we'd quit taking ownership of things that don't belong to us. Because this vision was the vision that God gave him. This purpose and this plan was God's purpose and God's plan. And so, he, this vision begins to be blurred. It's blurred by bitterness. The brethren, the Bible said they hated him. They hated him. Yet the more. They hated him. Nobody wants to be hated. Everybody wants to be liked. That's the reason we have so much compromise in this day. It's cause everybody wants a feeling of acceptance. Everybody wants a feeling of, of, of being relative and, and they want to be important. They want to be desired and they want to matter. Joseph was no less than that. But bitterness, bitterness blurred his vision. Betrayal, you go on to verse 15, down through to verse 28, and you read about how the brethren betray him. Don't you think the picture Joseph had of him being able to help his family is blurred even more? As he's sitting down there in the bottom of that pit looking up and the brethren are looking down at him. 
Wouldn't it be hard? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be hard to keep the seeds of doubt and discouragement and even the mindset of depression from entering into his mind as he's there in that pit and he looks up and the very ones that are, that God has said those will bow down to you are not bowing down, but they've cast you down and now they're looking down to where you're at. Blurs his vision through, through bitterness and through betrayal, through bondage. Joseph makes his way down to Egypt, we know, and finds his way in Potiphar's house, and things seemingly, seemingly seem to be going better. But then they lied on him. You ever had anybody lie on you? They lied on him, and here's the thing, folks that want to believe a lie will believe a lie. And there's no amount of, of defense, no amount of declaration you can make that'll keep them from believing it. So he finds himself in prison. In prison, he finds himself forgotten. He helps the baker and he helps the butler that they forget about him. And the reality about the vision that God has given us, the vision that God has given me for my family, there's things that have happened in my past. There's things that have happened within my family that could real easily have blurred and had blurred the vision God gave me. There's things that have happened within my church even within recent months as I see the changes take place and, and the dynamic of the church be different. It's been almost a year and, and, and we had Miss Vanessa, she was our piano player and, and she was the, the, she was our musician. That was it. That's all we had. And for whatever reason, God seen fit to allow her to have a stroke and, and that stroke left her in a capacity where now she, she barely can come to church, let alone play a piano. And the whole atmosphere of our church has changed and it's taken us almost a year just to get to a point where, where it seems like we can have service. Was everybody alright? And, and it blurred my, I thought, Lord, we were on the way up. We had a, we had a youth choir that was filled with youngins. We had a revival choir that was going to meetings and, and, and singing in meetings. We had all these things going and then it seems like tragedy after trouble, after tragedy after trouble, that, that the vision of what God had, had called us there to do is, is blurred. I think about John the Baptist when he's down there in the prison. I mean, I'm talking about John the Baptist, the one that, you know, eating locusts and wild honey, the mountain preacher. That's what I like about John. He's the mountain preacher, a voice crying in the wilderness. He like, he's like, he's like my forefather. He rears back. He lets a rip double lung. I mean, spits all over the first two rows. Hey, man. I, I think about him. I mean, all that, that, that had been done in his ministry, all that he had seen Jesus do, all that he'd experienced. But then he finds himself down in the prison and he sends, he sends somebody to ask. He says, find out if he's really the one. Is he, is he, is he really the Christ? 
And the reality is this, is we may not come to church and we may not stand up and verbally testify of our doubt. We may not come to church and visibly display the discouragement and the defeat that seemingly has blurred the vision of what God was once doing in our life. We put on our false faces. We walk in and we, we put on those smiles and we shake the hands and we act happy and, and we act like everything's okay and we're on a cloud nine because we don't know no, we don't want nobody to know where we're really at. We don't want nobody to know that we were fighting in the car before we came in, that we had to whip one Amen. And put another one in time out. Amen. Before we ever got out of the driveway. We don't want nobody to know that we're worried about how we're going to pay our electric bill. Amen. Or how we're going to pay the hospital bill. Or how we're going to do this. Or how we're going to do that. We don't want nobody to know that our life is not this pretty picture that we've painted on social media. But the reality is this. There's times when our vision is blurred. But Joseph's story doesn't stop there. Chapter number 41, Pharaoh has a dream. The dream comes to pass. Joseph interprets the dream because of his ability to help Pharaoh and the people of Egypt Pharaoh exalts him to a position where he is, he is the greatest in the kingdom under Pharaoh. He's the prince of Egypt. And I guess what I want to say is this. is when God has birthed a vision in your heart. And the troubles and trials of life seem to blur the vision. That does not keep God from blossoming the vision He has given you. You see, when, when things, this is, this is my thought for the night. When things look like they're falling apart, they may just be simply falling into place. When, when things, uh, when, when, when the vision seems to be destroyed, it may really just be God developing a story that only He can tell. You see, if we would have asked Joseph in chapter number 37 about how he would come to uh, be what God had shown him it would be, how that he would come to minister as God had shown him ministering, how he would come to ma- be the master that God showed him uh, in the position that he would have. Amen. He would not have said, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to be uh, forsaken by my brethren. I'm going to be cast down into a pit. I'm going to be sold into Egypt. I'm going to find myself in Potiphar's house and I'm going to be lied on. And then I'm going to go into the prison. I'm going to make friends in the prison. I'm going to meet their needs, but they're going to forget and forsake me, and then God is going to bring me out and exalt me up when it looks like everything else has went wrong. That ain't how you get there. Now, what happens is, is you study hard in, in high school. As a young person, you strive to live a separated, clean life. 
You enter into college, amen, or, or whatever it may be, vocational school, with a plan saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be this, I'm going to have a wife, I'm going to have a husband, I'm going to have 2.5 children, I'm going to live in a, in a $180,000 house, I mean, I'm going to have a paved driveway, we're going to put pumpkins along the side, amen, in the fall of the year, we're going to set corn stalks up, we're going to have a Christmas tree with a little train that goes around the bottom, and we've got this grand picture of how our life's going to be. But the reality is, very seldom do things go according to plan. I myself enjoyed college so much that I went for five years instead of four. (laughs) But it did not keep God from doing what God can only do. And when Joseph, in verse 50, he says this to his brethren. He says, but as for you, you thought it evil against me. And there's enough of those out there. Society itself, not only family and friends that you thought would never forsake you or turn on you. They're out there, and then what they said, what they did, and what what was conspired in your life, and in society, Satan, every bit of it may have intended it for evil, but he said, what they intended for evil, he said, you thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And what he's really saying is this, it never was really falling apart. It never was falling apart. It was merely falling into place. I would that we would understand something. That as a child of God, our lives are in the hand of God. And when our lives are falling apart, they're falling into the hands of Jesus. And what better hand to be in to take the broken pieces of our lives and put them back together. Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. I think, I think about what Joseph has experienced. I think about what he's gone through. How that he's went from point A to point B. And not one time do you find him forsaking God. Not one time do you find him verbalizing the doubt that undoubtedly, I mean, he entered into his mind. You never hear him saying, I wonder where God's at. God, why did you send me here? Why am I going through this? Why am I facing this? But in all of it, he just continues to walk. He continues to strive. He continues to serve. Amen. There was a man the story is told who was shipwrecked on an island. Now on that island there was not much to be found. Driftwood maybe. A few fruit trees. Just enough to barely keep him alive. He waited and waited to be rescued, but no rescue seemed to ever come. As he waited there on that island, he thought, well, I might as well try to make the best of this. So he gets him some of the driftwood, and he does the best he can to to build him a little makeshift shack. He takes and does his best to transplant plants and plant them in a little garden. He makes them a little place to kind of looks like home, even though his 
situation is despair. One day, while he's out gathering things, he turns and looks into the horizon and he sees smoke rising up. He drops what he has and he runs. As he runs, he stands and he beholds what little life he has going up in flames. He merely plops down in the sand and sobs and weeps and cries as the sun sets on the sky. He's given up on ever having anything. But weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And as the sun rises over the sky, he looks out across the horizon and he sees something in the distance. And he wonders, what could that be? He sits and he watches it as it gets closer and it gets closer. His heart begins to be filled with hope that maybe a rescue has come. As the men come off the ship and come onto the island, he said, why did you come? What? Why are you here? How did you find me? They said, we saw your distress signal going up. And that man never sent a distress signal. Matter of fact, in the mind of that man, his, his life was going up in flames. He didn't know what God was doing. And I want to let us know tonight, church, that sometimes we don't be able to see, we may not be able to understand, we might not be able to put together a verse, we may not be able to put together a sermon, we may not be able to lift up a song that can bring understanding, that can bring, uh, that can bring any sort of, of, of reconciliation to what it is that we're facing. There may be unanswered whys in our life, but in, uh, in the moments where the whys cannot be answered, the who can be trusted. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. You can and trust Him. Amen. So this is my message. My message is this. Keep striving. That's what Joseph did. He kept striving. He kept serving. He kept serving God. And he kept serving others. If there's anybody that could have been bitter against others, it could have been Joseph. If it was anybody that had a reason to put up a, a wall of defense to keep everybody at a safe distance, to refuse to get close to anybody because so many had hurt him, it was Joseph. But he kept striving and he kept serving. He served at Pondover's house. He served in prison. He served the baker. He served the butler. He served Pharaoh. He served. He served. And he strove. And he served. When the vision starts blurring, we have a tendency to back away from serving God and especially serving others. But can I tell you something this evening, church? There's somebody somewhere watching you. There's somebody somewhere needing to see you. Keep striving. Keep serving. Keep striving. Keep serving. Keep going. Even when it don't make sense, even when it don't feel good, even when you cannot reckon, you cannot reconcile it in your mind or your emotion, by faith you walk with God, trusting that what He is doing in your life is for your good and His glory. You know what, you know what 
You say when you look at the life of Joseph, you look back at all that he, he went through before he finds himself there being the Savior of nations. You look back and you say, what a God. Because God can make a miracle out of the mess you seem to find yourself in. I, I could go into greater detail how that God's done it in my life. But I just want you to take me at my word tonight. I want you to know that you're looking at a preacher tonight that God has took a mess. He's made a miracle. He's, t- he's t- took an old country boy raised on beans and taters, carried water from the spring as a boy and drank out of a dipper. I mean, I'm country. God's took me, given me a vision and given me dreams. And and as a young preacher, I thought, man, this is going to be great. It's going to be be awesome. I'm going to have all these friends and... And I'm gonna have all these preacher friends. I'm gonna get to go to all these churches. I'm gonna have all, get to go to all these meetings. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to this. And, and just be honest, it didn't happen that way. And there's times where I wanted to quit. There's times where I've questioned, is what's the use? You see, I wish I could stand here and not tell you that I, that I, but I'm just real. It don't get me a lot of meetings, but I think it helps a lot of people. I'm tired of lying preachers, aren't you? Reality is this, is they moments on Sunday morning, I, I, I wondered if I should even go down there. They've been moments on Sunday night where I've said, what's the use? There's been Wednesday night revival meetings where I've left more, more upset than I was in victory as the pastor. But I'll be honest. As I look back at all those situations and all those things that took place and all those things I could not wrap my mind around, I see God working in a way that only He can work. Because if it would have been done through any other matter, it'd been well because, it'd be because, well, Curtis, you, you did this and that's why you're, you have this success. That's why you enjoy this life. If it would have been because of my education at Tennessee Tech and getting my undergrad in history or getting my master's degree here or what I gained from seminary or wherever it was, if it was that that brought it, then that's what I would give credit to. But I look back at my life and I see that, that the only reason that I'm standing here tonight The only reason I'm not in hell, the only reason I haven't quit, the only reason I haven't given up, the only reason my family's together, the only reason my church is together, the only reason tonight I've got joy in my heart and peace in my soul is a God in heaven has time and time and time again showed Himself faithful. I'm glad that's the God He is. So I, I, I hope it made sense. Those times in your life. Think about this. Can I, can I go just a few more minutes? Think about this. The story of Joseph. But what about the story of Jacob? What about the story of Israel? 
he, he, he watches his son one day walk out. He sends him to help his brethren. Sends him out to his brethren and that's the last time he sees him. The brethren come back with a, with a coat, many colors, but the resounding color is that of red, stained in blood. The brethren come back in deception and deceive the father and say, a beast has slain him. Surely he's dead. In that moment, the father takes responsibility for the death of his favorite son. If I had not sent him, if I had went myself, if I hadn't, if I hadn't done that, you see, he lost the vision. In our text, it says this about him, and the brethren in him, but his father observed the saying. But he didn't always observe it. There was a moment when it was blurred. A matter of fact, for 20 something years, he sits at the dinner table and he stares out across the pasture as he, in his mind, he replays over and over again, seeing his son leave, never to return. And how many times in life have we had circumstances arise, consequences to come, things to enter in, and we can have nobody to blame but ourselves for what's come. And that's what, that's what, that's what he does. That's what Jacob does. He blames himself for years. He's carrying that guilt, that grief, harboring in his heart. They tried to bring joy to him, but the Bible says his heart wouldn't, it, it wouldn't, it, he, he refused. He refused to be lifted up. But Joseph sends some wagons down there. Joseph sends some wagons back. I may have myself a preaching spell. He sends some wagons back down there. And on that wagon are, are things, on those wagons are things that can be nothing less than a promise that the son you thought was lost is not gone. He is not dead. And the vision did not fail. God's Word was true. And God's Word was faithful. And He has done what He said He would do. And for a long time, many of us of us older saints, we've been praying and asking God and trusting God to do something to answer a prayer, to save a young and to save a grandchild, to deliver from drugs and alcohol and a life of, of all kinds of trouble. But yet seemingly all we see is a pattern of the same. Replaying those moments, well, if I would have done this, if I would have took them to church more, if I would have said no more, if I would have kept them away from this or exposed them to that or pushed them in this direction. Don't give up. Because God may just send you a wagon. Maybe a message from a preacher. Letting you know that He's still hearing your prayer. He still sees the burden of your heart. He knows what you're going through. Your care's not lost on Him, but you cast it on Him, for He cares for you. And God will not fail. You can trust Him. Just bring it to Him. Just bring it to Him. 